Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up, and welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. Today, I'm here, and I'm not gonna, me- I've messed up so many guests' names, and I've asked this guest twice his name, and I already messed it up off camera. So hopefully now I can say Lloyd de Young. Is that right? De Young. Okay. Oh. Close, close. Oh. Um, done, thank I've you. Done, Thanks. I've, I've, done, I've done worse. <laughs> it's, it's okay. At least you didn't spell it incorrectly as well. So <laughs> that would be good. Oh, yeah. I don't, well, yeah, I'm going to definitely, when I write your name, I'm going to be, uh, as long as spelt right on your social media i will make sure to copy that <laughs> yeah. well, so, it's an unusual well, name it's uh, the first name is welsh it's actually Hlud, oh. and the surname is dutch which is de jong and uh, my my mother's family is uh, originally from germany and my dad's family is from holland and england bit of a, so, bit of a wild mix going on there lloyd is a martial arts instructor uh working with the piper system did i get that right yeah okay and um, interesting thing about Lloyd, why is Lloyd on the show? Well, uh, some of you may or may have not heard of Mickey Lopez, uh, one of our Kaji Kimmel black belts. He, uh, he sent me a message saying, you got to have this guy on your show. And I'm like, okay, well, it sounds good, man. And he's like, you don't get it, bro. Like, he told me I was fucking walking wrong. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> he said I was walking wrong, bro. Like, we were going through a demonstration. He said, when I, before we even got started, he says I was walking wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, you got my attention. Let me get a hold of this guy and find out what this is all about. So, Lloyd, um, you're off camera. You're kind of explaining to me about what you work with, how your perspective, and I guess what Mickey was really trying to say is that your perspective on martial arts, if we even want to say martial arts at this point, it's really different from the other stuff that you might be seeing online where they demonstrate a ABC arm lock or whatever. Um, Let's just start with that. What what's the Piper system? What what's that all about? Why was Mickey tripping so hard about why he was walking wrong? <laughs> okay, yeah, um, yeah. So I'll, yeah, let me try to clarify and make sense of it um, for, for the audience. So South Africa has a criminal subculture, and South Africa has a very interesting combatives history. So what you have is you've got 20 different tribes that migrated into the country. Then you've got the settlers from Holland, the settlers from uh, Malaysia, and then Indonesia. So so they brought, well, the Dutch brought these Indonesians who brought their version of Silat. You've got the black tribes who've got their versions of uh, martial arts, which include the stick fighting, which includes spear fighting, which include fighting with the club and the shield. Right. Then, of course, you had the British who came in and they brought boxing. So now, you've, as I said, you've got this criminal subculture that is very expert with short knives, cheap short knives uh, called the Okapi. And South Africa um, rivals other places that, uh, for, for being the most violent place on earth. Right? At one time, our, our crime rate, our murder rate was higher than in Iraq, which was at war. So, and you've got a culture that uses knives extensively. I'll give you a simple stat. Like some, many years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I did some analysis. Uh, the Philippines has twice the population of South Africa 
but I think one eighth of its crime rate or one tenth of its crime rate and about um, and South Africa has like 10 times the murder rate of the Philippines, despite being half the population. So, and most of these crimes are committed, well, well obviously firearms are, are popular. Um, at least half of these crimes are committed with knives. And this is a culture that, that uses knives today extensively. And they don't duel, they tend not to be dueling with knives, they tend to be assaulting, they tend to be assassinating, they tend to be attacking people by surprise, by ambushing them. And so you've got a culture that learned these knives. Now, this is an integration of the, what people would call Zulu fighting arts or the Zulu stick fighting and so on. But really it's what's, it's the tribe called the Nguni. It's this, it's a generic, it's generic across all of these tribes. The, the Zulus brought the innovation of the stabbing spear, just like the Romans had the stabbing sword. So you've got the Zulu fighting arts or the Nguni fighting arts combined with with the Indonesians, it came with the Dutch in the 15 and 1600s. And then you've got the boxing, which in, in the 1800s, and these all blended to form this hybrid system, which is a, which is a some strange hybrid of boxing with silat, with the club fighting, the stick fighting, and the spear fighting of the of the black tribes. So, so really, it's um, think of and, and the way that the that stick fighting works, Think of it as blunt force trauma with the knife. So when you work with the knife, it's not the way that the Filipinos would, where you're sort of waving the arm around. This is, you're hitting as if you're trying to break a brick over someone's head. You're, you're hitting as if you've got a heavy war club and you're moving the entire body. But once you move in, once you move outside a certain range, you start to box. And when you get into a certain range, you start to use silat. Now it's not silat the way that we, it's not pure silat and it's not pure boxing, but it's recognizable that you can see there's these, there's these aspects. So this thing from, and the range is typically less than the length of your arm. You're typically working at the length of your forearm and up to physically touching this person and moving while physically adhering to them. Hopefully that gives an overview. So it's a criminal system and it's very much in use today in South Africa. And how did you get into this system? Like what were, how did you end up getting into this and how, I guess my audience yeah. is probably wondering how, yeah. No, we'll start with that. We'll start with that. I'll follow up a little later, but we'll start. Oh. How did you end up getting into this thing? So you grew up. I mean, like you you grew up in these neighborhoods, these 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 violent neighborhoods, right? And you all know that the gangsters are doing something, but but this is frowned upon. It's looked down upon, right? This is the the gang culture, right? But also now this started in the prisons. So the, the Malaysia, so the Indonesians, they call them Malays, but they're actually Indonesians. So the Dutch brought the Indonesians to South Africa. They they introduced the knife because they were fishermen, they worked with knives. The, the blacks did not have knives, they had spears, right? And they used to have the long throwing spears, but then of course, Shaka introduced the short stabbing spear, like the Romans had the short stabbing sword, similar idea. Then um, within the prisons, this is an assassination system, very close range assassination, working on multiple opponents, at very tight, in very tight, cramped. Sometimes I call it cramped quarters combat. It's really cramped, I mean, really tight in. Right, so we're like fighting inside a tiny cell, you know, the space between the wall and the bed and so on. Um, now, working as a growing up, sorry, you, you, you realize the criminals have a method. Now, everyone plays and does this automatically because you see it and then you, you just copy it. So you're not, you're not necessarily trained in it. It's not formal. The criminals don't have a system per se. They, they have there's a handful of techniques and ideas and, and based on the preference or based on the need, the criminal has a couple of his own tricks. 
and he utilizes some of it to, to suit his preferences and needs. So it was never formalized as a system. And then in the prisons, you're looking at assassination, but when it moves onto the street, then it becomes muggings. And occasionally there's gang fights, certainly, but generally it's muggings and assaults and intimidation. And just and, to clear, I don't mean to interrupt, just to clear this up, no, no. you're talking about in South Africa. In South Africa, yeah. Okay. In right. Cape Town, almost specifically, largely in Cape Town. But in Cape yeah. Town, okay. In, right. in South just, Africa. All right. All right. Yeah. It's, it's generally concentrated in Cape Town, but it's not strictly in Cape Town. And that's, and, where, you, that's where you grew up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in Cape Town. So um, you see this and you copy it, but you never really understand it. So obviously, now you're a martial artist. You're growing up, you're learning karate, you're learning kempo, you're learning wing chun or whatever, they, whatever it is you're learning. But you always know, and we would always talk with our friends and say, man, we still don't know what those criminals are doing. And we are scared. We're nervous because these guys are doing something we don't know. And we don't understand. Even in the police training, they'll say, well, okay, you've been trained. You've got some basic combatants, but you know, the criminals out there, they, they do their own thing. So be wary because they've got their own tricks and techniques, which no one understood because no one had investigated it. Then I ended up meeting someone who actually had been, and I started studying this as well. I tried to study how these guys work, how they operate. And then I met someone who had family, who'd been in the gangs, been in the prisons. And he started to ask, now, of course, you don't just walk up to someone, but you know, you, there needs to be some level of connection and you yeah. ask. <laughs> yeah. They, they You're also that, not dealing with. In, yeah, my, in my psychology background, participant observation, right? You can't, if you're doing a participant observation study, it's not like you just walk up with your clipboard and your tie high. I want to hang out with you gang members for a little bit and write some notes. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you have to be, you have to ask politely. You have to be invited in. And then also the guys are reticent to share some details, but also that you're not dealing with Einstein, right? He can't explain what he does. They just do it. So you have to look and you have to like ponder, like, what does that mean? What's the intention? What's the symbolic meaning or whatever the case might be. So then, so then we realized, so I worked with, the, with Nigel, I met Nigel and I worked with him for a long time and we started to codify, it took about 10 years to codify all of this, um, to understand. So we realized there's a certain type of footwork they use. There's a based, you know, and it's given a certain context. There's a certain kind of, then we realized there's, there's, there's this African stick and spear and club fighting movements, even though they don't have a stick, but with the knife, you're moving as if you were hitting with a stick. So. So the movements don't cut because the knife is cheap, the blade is blunt, and it's a $2 knife. It's going to break. So you choose your targets very carefully. And also, if you're in prison, you've got a shank that's made of, I don't know, a toothbrush with a, with, a, with a nail in it. That thing's going to break, right? If it's a piece of wood with, with, tied with a, a nail with a string, it's, you have to choose your targets very carefully. You can't be slicing with it because you'll snap the thing. So they chose their targets very carefully, but also because there's a shield, the, there's extensive use of this arm as a shield to push, to pull, to hit, to elbow, to smash, right? To, to block with. So, and the, the knife is often just a distraction and the attack is on the other hand, the non-knife hand. And so we, we started to codify this into defenses and attacks and so on. And, and we started to realize these guys have a system. And so this is where the, how the Piper system as a, as a codified system was born. And then we realized there's a bit of silat and there's a bit of boxing. So we obviously had to study some boxing to try to, to understand some of the boxing element, but it's not boxing. It's not pure boxing as you know it, but it's, but in terms of the style of boxing, it's a little bit like, like people call crunk boxing from what I've discovered. And also a little bit of, um, if you, I can't remember the name of Angelo and, and there's a boxing trainer, but it's like cloth and steel, this idea of there's a, there's certain similarities to, to this, this old school boxing. And um, silat, 
And so hopefully, does that help to answer the question? So we didn't know what the criminals were doing. We studied gonna, it and then realized. I'm yeah. just gonna try to just to try to. If I think I understand what you're saying, and I'm just gonna just yeah. kind of simplify it for maybe my audience. Sure. Some of these guys get punched in the head a lot. All right, so, <laughs> so just to simplify it, if I'm understanding you correctly, you got together with an insider. Um, you started working with criminals and asking them how they commit crimes commit crimes uh from muggings to assaults to murder in and out of the prison system and then you started and these people are in south africa so therefore a lot of them are from the african tribes you talked about earlier so like they have so... backgrounds of that but at the moment originally no so, so most of them would be what we would call uh the colored population technically okay. in south africa i would be called colored now i know it's a slur in the states but in south africa it's just tuesday you know yeah, 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 so, yeah. so when i say black people i don't mean me <laughs> technically i don't mean <laughs> black people are tribal black people at least in south african terms i'm yeah, speaking that, that, in that's, south yeah, africa that's that's what i want to break down because anybody listening to the u.s oh man <laughs> The US I know, I know. They got triggered a long time ago. So that's like, I I'm keep aware. telling, hey, we're talking about South Africa and I really want to make sure we clarify these terms. This is my psychologist. Like, this is the psychology background I got. Like, I really want to make sure that we're talking within the context that you're coming from. So, again, you're, you're studying criminals in South Africa. Um, specifically, they're coming, their background is coming from the tribes. But now we're talking about modern day. Obviously, they're not, it's, it's not like, you know, we started with this huge historical context, and I think one of the problems that a lot of, especially people in the West, especially people in America, they, they think of Africa and they just immediately jump to the Congo and huts and they, don't, they totally forget like, hey, we're talking about like a city, a modern city and modern people like now, like, you know, modern, the modern age. And, um, and you're essentially interviewing very dangerous people that are involved in gang violence and you're codifying violence as it's practice their methods yeah their methods as it's practice okay all right now you're doing this you're codifying this because you were you grew up in that neighborhood so obviously you were trying to figure out how to defend yourself is that because none of us yeah, when you do fma you learn to defend against fma when you do karate you're learning to defend against the fellow karateka right but we realized we had no answers and no understanding of the kind of threats we were dealing with when we were mugged. We, I got mugged many times. I had my shoes stolen. My friends had their pants stolen. You know, you got to run home in your underpants. I mean, this is, this is not un, unnatural. No, it's usual. It's normal. Um, people have, you know, people are mugged. And the thing is, despite all the martial arts, I, what happened was I was on a train and two guys mugged me. I was with my girlfriend and at the time. This is many years back. And I had, believe me, I had the skills. And if I'd understood what was going on, I could have dropped them both easily. But these guys, the way that they operated, and eventually, you know, I was so surprised. I, I, I was looking for cues that I wasn't taught to look for. Because, you know, you're taught, well, you know, when the guy goes into uh, goes into XYZ stance and he does this, because you, you, you're trying to say, look, if I was in Japan, it would probably work just great, you know? <laughs> but, but the fact is, we, we were given cues for, for, for Westerners or cues for Asians, but we weren't studying our own criminals. We weren't understanding. And, but we, we knew there was something. And we even instinctively, we even moved like that when we did things like, like in South Africa. <clears throat> so if you give a Westerner a knife, right? He'll probably grab it like this. To me, this is uncomfortable. It's unnatural. 
it's like, I'm like, huh? What is this strange grip that I'm holding on this knife? Am I about to eat some salad? You know, where's my fork? You know? <laughs> Whereas if I give a guy in South Africa, like in Cape Town, a knife, he's going to grab it like this. He's going to grab this knife like this. This this is completely unnatural to me, right? So so, so, so culturally, we, were, we, we already did these things instinctively, but we'd never thought about them. So yeah, so we studied and we realized these guys have experience. They, they are dangerous. They kill people. They, they mug people. They hurt people. They torture people. And, and our training wasn't designed to acknowledge this or to deal with this. And, and also we realized their training is designed to defeat all our defenses. These are criminals. They study their prey. They learn how to defeat what you do. That's their job. And they're very good at it. And we realized we had to respect what they did. We to, these are guys that don't that don't brush their teeth, that have teeth missing, that smell, that are drunk, that are high. And everyone goes, ah, and we realize, hold on, wait, we actually need to respect what they do. Look at what they do. This stuff is effective. People are dying from it. My martial arts instructor doesn't kill people on a regular basis, but they kind of do. They, they've got this experience, this library. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I'm really curious as to... Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I'm curious. I think you kind of answered my question about why you got into it. You were growing up in this neighborhood around these dangerous people. You were studying. So what was the first? Because you said you started doing this later in your life. And you mentioned you studied other martial arts before you. Yeah, started I did karate. And when I was 16, I started doing karate, which I really loved. I enjoyed it very much. I mean, it's something I would, you know, I, I think it's something kids should go and do. I think it's a great art. Um, I, I loved also Tai Chi, you know, slow motion replay martial arts. And, uh, and, um, and I did, I dabbled a bit, but mainly I settled on American Kempo, IKKA Kempo, which I really loved. I thought it was fantastic. I just enjoyed it, but it was also very rigid. And it's when I got introduced to a little bit of boxing that I found my flow. And I, I recommend anyone and everyone does some boxing, at least take a few boxing lessons. I recommend that to everybody. If you can box, I think it's a great skill. I'm not a great boxer because, well, I will say this, um, pound for pound, boxers have given me more headaches than anybody else. Literally headaches. <laughs> you know, like, whoa, that hurt. <laughs> so I, I learned that, like, no, boxing is effective. And then, I, and, then, and then we started to realize there's boxing in the Piper system as well. And then, you know, so that was a bonus. Um, yeah, so, so um, very little of boxing, very little of Wing Chun. Mostly uh, Kempo is my base background, American Kempo. So, and some then, karate so, back in the day. And then from there, you were 16, you started doing some karate, you started kind of doing some, and then how old were you when you started doing this, this codifying in the Piper system? When was this? Happening? My late 20s, late I would 20s. guess my, my 20s. Yeah, you, my late 20s, 27, And you were a 20s. civilian, like you weren't in law enforcement or anything? Uh, no, although, although because, yeah, once we started researching, we started going to the police and talking to them. We went to trauma wards, spoke to doctors. We ended up um, getting information from the cops. We were curious about their experiences because these are the guys that have been hurt. Spoke to prison warders because it's a rite of passage for a prisoner to stab a warder to gain rank in the gangs. So we had to speak to the prison warders about how they were attacked. Um, uh, in the trauma wards, it's crazy what you see. But I mean, you know, this is when people come in with, with the wounds and you speak to doctors. And so we, it, that's why it took a long time. You don't just walk in and, hey, my name's Lloyd and yeah, show me your, how, show me how, your. Yeah, how, how did you? <laughs> Because as a civilian, it, it, this would actually make more sense if you were like, 
either in military or law enforcement, because at least you'd have a background to come into these places. How did you even get your foot in the door? I mean, look, you, you learn to ask nicely. It takes a long time. Like I said, it didn't happen overnight. Uh, you have a student that's a doctor and he knows someone at the trauma center at the hospital and he, you know, he takes you there or he says, Hey, look, ask this guy to, if he can like when it's quiet to, to take you on a walk through the ward, you're his cousin, you've come to, or whatever the case might be, but, but you sit down, you have an interview and he says, okay, let me take you on a quick walk. Just don't say anything and I'll, I'll walk you through the wards and I'll, I'll show you things. And I mean, you see a guy with a knife in his head or a guy with an ax in his skull or something stupid like that. I mean, or a guy with a knife or a machete buried in his shoulder. And he's like, yeah, this guy came in and he's been waiting for half an hour. And he's, you know, when we were about to take him into surgery and all that stuff. And you see these things and, and you start to see that the wounds tend to appear in, on certain places, which for instance, 65% of the wounds um, were on the right side of the body, on the left side of the body, right? And from, from the top of the skull, if you draw a line down towards the kidneys, then 65% of the wounds are there, which indicate a right-hander attacking to the left side of the body uh, from the hip bone upwards. And then ten, and nine times out of 10, the victim dies because they get stabbed in the neck here. So then you start to realize this is the kind of attack you're looking at and what your defenses need to be concentrated around that that region and so on and you start to realize this is the kind of weapons and um and then yeah so hopefully that adds a bit of further insight yeah yeah because i mean at this point a lot of my it, well, not me i don't know if my uh, how, if my audience is following along with this but i'm really curious as to how like in your in your martial arts journey you're codifying you came up with the piper system and now you're getting into these places and interviewing. Yeah, that, that, that was what I was wondering. Like, how did you get in there? Why? You talk to people, you ask. Like, and, we and, were and, curious. And then, like, and it's, like, a, it's a real problem. It's something we were yeah. frightened of. It's something we didn't understand. And I am, I get a little OCD when it comes to hunting for answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like, I mean, I mean, most people, unless they were actually in a situation well, you were though, and I think that's that's the answer, right? Like, um, in the U.S., I'd have to go for because I am from the U.S. Um, most people that start going in the direction that you're talking is usually it's because they either have a law enforcement background and or military background because that's 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 those are the two reasons you end up getting really into combatives, or you're brought up in a really dangerous neighborhood. But then even then, so like I was brought up in a really dangerous neighborhood. No, I, I promised myself, look, I was with someone that I couldn't protect and we were at their mercy and I should have dropped them both easily. I had the skill. I missed the window and I didn't understand. And I told myself, I will never be in that situation again. Okay. And I'm never going to put someone that I'm at risk. I'm, at, I'm with and risk again. And that's what started it. Okay. So now we're getting somewhere. So like I said, like I said earlier, these are like the three when I start asking people these questions, this is the three things that I end up getting. Why did you end up getting combatives? And one of them is definitely, I was in a situation where I either couldn't defend myself or someone even worse, someone that I loved. And because of that, I got, I felt that, um, I felt the need to step away from your typical martial arts paradigm. And I needed to learn something effective and I really didn't care what it was um, as long as it was effective. Right. So, that, and that's, and that, if anybody's watched my show, I've talked about this several times that when I got into martial arts, I actually didn't take a formal class till I was 18. 
most of the stuff I did was just me and my cousin and gang violence. Now, I wasn't in a gang, and my cousin wasn't in a gang, but the people he knew were in a gang, and we were just trying to figure out what worked. And we didn't care if it was karate or tai chi or judo or what it was. That's where I started. Now, now I'm, you know, I'm an instructor and all that stuff. But when I was surprised me, I don't want to ramble and take too much of your talk time here. What surprised me when me and my cousin, and my cousin to this day had never joined uh, any dojo for this reason. Um, when we got into these spaces, we felt that they were doing something completely different. They had a different focus. Like they weren't focused in that. What, like you were saying earlier, like karate guys were figuring out how to fight other karate guys and doing this point sparring thing. Or, or even, I'm going to say it. Step, okay, before I say this, I have a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? And I'm, I'm, I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's a great sport. I really enjoy it. But when I saw Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I was like, I don't see how this is going to help me, especially Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I bumped into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the early, in the early 90s. And this karate guy's like, you got to do this Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu stuff. And I saw it. And at that point in my life, since I wasn't doing cage fighting, which I did later, I was just thinking, this is going to get me killed. <laughs> that, was like, that was the first thing that came to my mind. I'm like, I, I go up and start tying up with one guy and I'm going to get stabbed. Like, that's all I can think of. And it, it's really, and, I, and I, again, I love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm not trying to talk shit about it. I, I study it. I love it as an, as an art. But I think what you're touching on is just a different perspective about, and that's where my head was at then. My head's in a different spot now. But back then, it sounds like that's what you're really all about, you're diving into, was this idea of coming up with effective techniques against, in an environment that is really dangerous where there's really a not a lot of rules <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of rules that you're working with so as you start developing your system you're you're developing you're in your early you're in your early 20s as you said late, late, late 20s, 20s yeah, late 20s you had that traumatic experience where you got mugged and you decided that you really wanted to create something that was effective and that worked for you to avoid being in that situation ever again um what happened? Um, I started researching the psychology of criminals, what motivates them, how it changes their mental state, their emotional state, their physiology, how it changes the behavior, the, the body language, the, the movement, and so on. And I started to write about this, and I started to give talks on this. And I actually got well-known, and I started to give talks around where, where I lived, and eventually got invited to, go, to travel to different places in my country to go and give these talks. So I would analyze and say, look, uh, the crime, I was using the five stages model, which is basically first comes intent. Intent alters his behavior because when you, once you cross that mental boundary, you, this alters your body physiology, right? You go from relaxed to predator. Once you become a predator, you send that signal into the environment. So your next step is you've got to deceive. You have to hide that signal. But there's always that nonverbal leakage that comes out that signals you have a predator in the environment. And if, and if we are aware and attuned, we can start to spot that there's a signal coming off subtly, you know, that, that we are attuned to, that, that this, there's a predator in the environment. We need to be aware. Now, this is, a non, this is the nonviolent portion. Then the next step is he has to choose the victim. What, what, what are the characteristics that define a good victim for a mugger or for someone who's going to make an ambush? Right? We're not talking... Combat is not necessarily violent 
you know, it's, you have a sport, you have a sport, but but an ambush or street violence from, from a mugger, he's not looking for a fight. He's not looking for combat. He's looking to take you out to blindside you. He's looking to walk up and just clock you and you're done. And then he takes your stuff and he leaves. He's not looking for a fair fight. It, it, you know, this is an ambush. It's an assault, right? So then he chooses the victim. So then the question is, what defines, in my environment, what defines the victim? What is he looking for that says that's a good victim? Why choose him and not her? He was not the obvious target. She was, but why did he go for that guy? What was different about where he was, what he was doing, what he wasn't doing, his awareness. Then he's got to position himself by the victim, or he's got to bring the victim to him. I can't steal your watch from down the street. I've got to bring you to me. Or I've got to come to you, right? How does he do this? And, and you realize these three phases on the nonviolent phases. If you can spot and deal with the issue here, you can deal with it nonviolently in the first three phases. Then the assault is only once he's, once he's, once he's developed the intent and the willingness to go that far, right? To commit harm against another human being. Then he's chosen his victim. Then he has positioned himself to commit the assault. He stacked the odds in his favor. Only then will he make the actual assault, which is the fourth phase. You see, if you can deal with it here, you can deal with it non-violently. So the assault is only the fourth phase. So my aim was, my focus was here, the first three phases. How do I non-violently deal with this and exit? How do you recognize? How do you predict and prevent non-violently and then exit, right? Or de-escalate. And then, but what happened was people kept getting into the James Bond part, which is stage four, <laughs> where the guy launches the practice, right? <laughs> I guess so. And then, and then when we started to show, look, this is how the criminals will attack you. People are like, that is, we don't train like that. That's unusual. That's so those angles are so weird. This is unlike anything we know. Or they go, or police officials, we've seen that. My, my partner got hit like that. They, 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 they nailed my partner like that. They stole his gun. Or my partner got stabbed like that. Or you'd constantly hear this. The guy got knocked down like that. Or I saw that. Or that happened to me. You'd hear that over. And we realized, hold on, these guys are doing something consistently that is completely outside the bounds of martial arts training or formal police combatives training. And, and we realized, hold on, we need, to, we need to look at this more closely. So that's when we really started to properly codify it and turn it into a system. And look, if so one gangster might have like three or four moves that he works with, right? Another gangster has three or four. Remember, they're not formally trained. They don't go to the martial arts school in the prison and they go do classes three times a week. Right? It doesn't work like that. So but, they yeah. don't have like a thug university? Like <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in loosely speaking, but it's not like they have a formal class and they, they go and the warders watch as the guys practice their stabbing. To, no, it's not like that, right? So yeah, but you realize one gangster has three or four techniques that work that work for him. The next gangster has three or four, but they're all different. But now you have to interview. Now you've got ten gangsters. You got forty moves. There you got your gang. Now now your job is to go and interview those gangsters and take all of their moves and write them down and turn that into a unified system. That was the hard part. You said there was a fourth. There were five phases, all right. That's actually very astute. Most people don't care about the fifth phase. Everyone's interested the, into the the, the, it is the, the James Bond phase. I mean, that, that's, if you call it the James it's Bond, it's very phase. important. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, no. Um. So this is where the assault happens. But notice, it's the ambush. It's not stick him up, buddy. Let's do this. And if I win, I shall take thou wallet, and I shall honor myself with thine beer as I drink over thou fallen body. And no, no. This is understand. This is like. This is not him saying, well, let's fight over your wallet, shall we? Stick them up, buddy. It's not that. 
the guy's going to clock you. He's going to take you by surprise. He's already stacked the deck in his favor. He's not there unless he knows he can take you, right? And then wham, he moves and you're down, right? The fifth phase is the, the aftermath, the reaction. What happens afterwards? You see, because this is the most violent phase because you are completely in his power, right? This is like where someone rapes a woman, for argument's sake, and then kills her, right? Because she is completely under his control, completely. And, and or this is when someone takes your stuff, walks away, and then turns around, comes back and stabs you. This is not uncommon in South Africa, right? It's a, it's a violent environment that has its problems. So, so we don't want to get to this phase. But if you do get to this phase, you need to be aware that this is where, or, or someone mugs you, but now they decide to move you from one location to another. The thing is that if you get abducted in that fashion, the chances that you come back alive are far reduced. So, so we need to be aware that there are these, if, if this happens, if the assault happens successfully, you need to be very, very aware in that last phase because things are unpredictable at that point. So, so, those are, so those are the issues. So the aim is to try to recognize and deal with it here. But if he's going to launch the attack, you need to understand how is he going to launch that attack? How, what form will that movement take? And are we equipped to recognize and deal and position ourselves to deal with it? Maybe we can't deal with these first three. We just have to let it happen up to this point, but then we can shut him down on the assault. We can use his own techniques against him. He's not expecting that. That's the last thing he's expecting. And we've developed counter techniques to deal with that, to take him out and potentially one or two of his friends. So, so this is what, um, this is part of what, what I'm interested in doing with this. To convert, to, to provide a set of tools, a, a pressure tester, something you can pressure test yourself against, but to provide tools to civilians, to provide tools to professionals, to work against criminals. Like, sure, um, before I go too much further, uh, in Europe, for instance, I've, I've done a few seminars where I have riot police or I have especially police. Like, like this one French policeman and they deal with lots of African migrants. And they were like, man, we've seen everything you're showing us. The African migrants in Europe, they took my partner out. They, they gave my partner concussion. They broke the one guy's finger. They, they stole the other guy's gun. That happens, right? And they're like, but they did it exactly like you're showing. We thought these guys were just lounging around in strange positions or having a seizure. Now you're showing us this is actually combat techniques. So, and again, and I, I've said this before, um, and you're, you're coming from, again, you're coming from a perspective where this is happening. I think one of the things that, and I, I'm about to go into controversial logic here, let's go, let's go. So I think this is, this is the most controversial part about what you're talking about. For what you're talking about, this makes complete perfect sense. Like the environments you're talking about, um, it makes sense. That kind of training makes sense for that kind of environment, especially if you're going to end up in that kind of environment. Which you sometimes, if you don't, some people, I don't know, I don't know, I use the word naive. I guess I'll use the word naive. Some people are naive about how the world works and they'll travel and they forget. And I'll, I'll talk about Japanese people in this case, because I'm in Japan. And it's not like in a bad way, but especially Japanese people will leave Japan. And I'm always telling people this. I'm always telling my students this because like they look at some of the stuff I teach and they think that's excessive. <laughs> they feel it's excessive. And I'm always reminding them, look, where I was brought up, stomping someone in the head when they're down is not excessive and necessary. Um, and B 
when you're traveling, be aware that you're no longer in Japan. There's, there's things that you can do in Japan that even living in Japan, I almost forget because I've been out here so long. I, uh, an example is I had a guy come out here to train with me at this uh, gym. Like a, it was like a, a big judo hall. And it was, a, it was a public place. And he calls me. I'm at the judo hall. I'm like, hey, man, where are you at? It's already like 830. He's like, oh, I'm at the train station. But is it safe? This guy's from LA. And he's like, is it safe? Is it safe to walk over? to this gymnasium and I laughed and I realized, oh shit, this guy's from LA. Of course, that's that's a very valid question to ask. You're in a country you don't know, it's dark and you're wondering if walking, yeah. walking two, three kilometers to this gym, if you should take a taxi. And, and this is something that I, like being in Japan for so long, I almost forgot to think that way. When I'm in America, I think that way. Like <laughs> that's the first thing, I'm not gonna walk anywhere. <laughs> I'm not walking yeah. anywhere. I live in San Diego, but I land in LA. I'm not walking anywhere in LA, especially at night. So like, and even I don't even trust Uber. Like, I might get an Uber. I don't trust Uber all the way either. I'm really looking at those reviews. So like, I have that mindset, but I think a lot of people, especially Japanese people, I talked to this one Japanese guy. Oh man, he got jumped. He got jumped because he had no idea. He was into hip hop. He was into hip hop. And he went and I, he told me the story. I met him after the fact. If I would have known him before the fact, this would have never happened to the guy. But he was really into hip hop. And um, and this was actually not my friend. It was a friend of a friend. My other friends told me the story. And, you know, he was really into hip hop. And America's so violent. You know, he, he didn't know. He went to L.A. to some breakdancing thing. And these five guys just beat him up for, quote, unquote, no reason. And I said, what was he wearing? He's like, what do you mean? Did your friend like to wear bandanas? He's like, yeah. No, you don't go to LA wearing a bandana. You don't go to a. He accidentally wore the wrong colors or symbol. Or... Just don't wear a bandana. If like if there's a simple rule of the hood, just don't fucking wear a bandana. Even if you think you know the colors that may or may not be the right colors to wear, you're still sending out a signal to every single criminal element. And and they they may either a they're gonna know that you're full of shit. That's the last thing you want. You don't you want to be a pretender. Yes, you're a wannabe pretender, or even worse, you're naive. They're like, remember you talking about earlier about what they're looking for, a victim. You're telling yeah. them, I don't know what's going on. Or B. Yeah, and, yeah, and they'll punish them, you for that. Yeah, or B, I do know what's going on, and fuck you, right? So like, either way, it's the wrong message to be sending. You shouldn't be wearing bandanas in the hood. You shouldn't be wearing bandanas. Yeah. You shouldn't. Don't like, wear something else. Don't wear baseball caps. Don't wear sportswear. Forget sports clothes all around. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. But this kid didn't. Otherwise, you'll be end up. I don't for no reason. I got beat up for no reason. No, you got beat up for a reason. You just didn't know what the reason was. So like, and I'm always telling this like, I'm always telling this to my to my Japanese, you know, my students. I'm like, hey, you're gonna go somewhere. Learn about where you're gonna go. Make sure. You really know where you're going, what you're doing, and make sure you don't end up in these situations by just knowing the culture before you go in there. Like if, like step one, and this is for Japanese people, but I've seen the same thing happen in the U.S. Like I, because I lived in the hood, and I'd have friends come visit me where I lived, and like my friends would come, and they didn't know they were from like a nice part of town, and they come in wearing a, one of my friends was wearing a Raiders jacket. I'm like, dude, take that shit off, put it in your car, <laughs> but take off the jacket, leave it in your car. He's like, what man? I'm like. 
what's so what so i like the raiders fuck them no no that's not the kind of attitude you want in this area because it means something yeah. else it just means something else yeah. Yeah. so like um yeah what you're saying makes a lot of sense i know exactly what you mean i yeah i know i i yeah yeah i've people who are not from there send out a signal that just says i'm not from here and that on its own is a bad signal yeah that alone is a bad signal that you can just see like the heads on a swivel going oh prey in the environment you can see it a mile off it's like oh that person's not from here they have no idea clueless and so like and this brings me to the controversial part in martial arts, and I'm always saying this, like do martial arts because you enjoy martial arts. Do martial arts because you enjoy the sport that you're doing, whatever it is that is. You want to do MMA? I think if you're going to do something, make sure it's effective, if that's what you're into. But also, if you want to enjoy martial arts, if you want to do Tai Chi, hey, fuck, enjoy Tai Chi. Yeah. But at the end of the day, people always ask me, how come you don't train more knife stuff? I'm like, knife stuff isn't really the kind of stuff you train it's i can show you some techniques but every time i show you anything i'm always going to go back to but you should never count on this you should move more on your instincts you should think more about where you're going to get attacked i can show you a defense one defense two defense three i can show you these numbers and then i always take a further step back and say a lot of people don't practice martial arts to defend themselves in those environments. And then there's the people that do. And those people I'm very wary of because <laughs> I'm really, because of being brought up in that kind of environment. I see these people that are not from that environment practicing. And I'm not going to name out any styles here. You actually mentioned one earlier. <laughs> but <laughs> so like, They're practicing these things. And it looks very similar to the Kung Fu Tai Chi stuff. And I'm just sitting there scratching my head because like, again, if you're going to be in that environment, you sh- if you're going to be in that kind of a dangerous environment, what you're talking about makes perfect sense. If you're not going to be in that kind of dangerous environment and you just want to practice martial arts for whatever reason that you want to practice martial arts, then that's great. Yeah. Don't no. try to- I mean, inter- it's fun. It's a great hobby. Yeah. It's great to meet people, great to exercise. Yeah. It's a way to communicate with and, and be with people who enjoy that sort of healthy physical activity. That, yeah. That's fine. That's, that's yeah. great. My yeah. only problem is my only problem I have with is like when someone's like looking at things in a, from a point that, and I, I've, because I have a YouTube channel and every once in a while I show fundamentals of whatever, I will get trolled. And the kind of comments I get are from people that I can tell don't. I mean, that could be said about anything on the internet, but like, the kind of comments that I see are obviously people that have never experienced violence. Like that's like, that's all in a nutshell. Yeah. And they come from, and I'm not going to pick on a particular style here. I've had people make kind of, I scratch my head comments coming from multiple styles from different styles. And it's just cause again, I'm not, and I really lean more towards combat sports. Like, I'm not a combatives guy. I love the work you're doing. I have some combatives. I don't lean towards that. As I got older, I felt I'm not in that dangerous environment anymore. I think it's really important to train for it. If I have someone who's going to be in that environment, let's have a few some law enforcement people. So we do go over that, which is why I know Mickey Lopez, which is why we go over combatives, which is why I get together with people that, that work, that kind of stuff to particularly help people in that specific situation. But... Let's face it, my soccer mom, 
<laughs> that lives in Japan that's not planning to travel outside of Japan ever, she may or may not enjoy it. And again, my my main focus for me is I'm still I am teaching a style. I teach Kajukembo, and that's an acronym. So I, I have people that want to do a kickboxing competition or they want to do MMA. And that's great. Like there's fun stuff you can do with that. And that's where I've kind of headed towards for me. But I don't kid myself <laughs> to think that because I yeah. teach this, that somehow this equates me. And when I go back to that hood, which I'm going to in December, I'll be right back at that same fucking place that I left. <laughs> that I said I'll never go back there. I go back there to visit friends and family. But what it comes down to is I don't kid myself in thinking that just because I've been doing MMA that I'm somehow now impervious to the kind of violence that occurs there, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I, I, that would be hubris to think that way. And I, and I have seen that a lot. So how do you deal? Was that a question? I don't know if that's even a question, Lloyd. <laughs> um, how do you deal no, with that? <laughs> um, look, my, I live in Poland. I live in Warsaw. And it's ridiculously safe here. You know, ridiculously so. I, we were in Spain um, recently, <clears throat> which was fantastic. And we hopped on the train at 1130 at night to go halfway across Madrid to get to where we were staying. And I didn't think twice. Now, if this was South Africa, I wouldn't want to get on a train at 9 a.m. I wouldn't want to get on a train at 1 p.m. I wouldn't want to get on a train at all. I would want to have 22 of my best friends armed with Uzis and AKs and body armor before I stepped on that train. Understand? It's stepping on a train's a gamble. There's a risk. It's something you realize that is incurs some level of risk. Whereas here in Warsaw, step on a train at midnight, no problem. You don't think twice. I can understand your friend saying about walking. I mean, I'd walk around Warsaw at 4 a.m. in the morning and I wouldn't have a problem. But in Cape Town, yeah, I'd, I'd, I would think five times about that. You know, and then, I'd, uh, and then I would shoot myself in the head to just, to just make it, you know, at least it'd be quick. You know? um, no, it's, it's, a, it's an issue. So, um, but I think if you, with, without being paranoid, you develop a, a respectful understanding of the threat. You understand what the risks are. So you develop a practical appreciation of the fact that there is risk, there is danger, there are dangerous people. And you develop good strategies to, to live in a way that is, that is um, healthy, a way that is safe. So you, you realize that um, you've got to take reasonable precautions, right? And also the, just the fact that you do this, and also if you have the skills that if things do go wrong and things can go wrong, you, you project a certain level of awareness, a certain level of confidence that marks you as not the ideal target. You're not the ideal victim. Um, yeah, so I, um, I mean, I still take reasonable precaution. I still, even when I'm in safe places, I'm still aware that there may be risk and um, but but yeah also I, I grew up in an environment where you learned to look over your shoulder you learned to project a certain attitude you learned to to be aware of your environment to not walk through fringe areas to to try to you know stay to the stay in the light stay near people etc so but again the aim is not to make you more paranoid the aim is to make you more aware and and I think I'm well aware, but I, I also realize that I'm with people that didn't grow up in those environments. They come from Europe. They, they, they have no idea. They have, it's, it's just a foreign concept to them. And I've seen, 
And then I have to take the role of a protector. I've got a guide. I've got to choose what route we walk when we cross the street. Um, so, so yeah, it's just that certain, but then again, also, if you grew up with violence, it's kind of considered normal and, and the rest of the environment, it's normal. So you, so that's just a normal way of operating for everybody. Some guy looks at you funny. You look at him a certain way. He realizes he could get hurt. He leaves you alone. He looks for the next guy. It's just the way it is. I think, you know, I mean, lions don't attack every lion. They just attack when there's a reason, right? So you just kind of professional courtesy. You're like, look, you know, this is not worth the hassle. It's just, yeah. Does that answer the question? Yeah. I, I don't even know if it was a question. <laughs> I don't yeah. even know if it was a question as much as like a, this thing that no, happens in, in martial arts, you know, I, and how, like how, how it can be this, like I said, it, there's, I think, I, I think that's what I'm trying to clarify here is the difference between saying I do martial arts because I enjoy it and it's a fun thing to do as opposed to I do martial arts because I because I really want to be able to defend myself in a dangerous environment and I think I think there's two extremes that can happen here I think there's actually and I, I, I think there's two extremes there's that extreme where you focus so much on combatives that you don't do enough cardio <laughs> Yeah. I'm trying to say this very nicely. <laughs> you don't do enough cardio. No, look, you can do you some. Don't, you don't yeah, do look, enough. when you're 65, when you're 70, you still want to be able to do something that's healthy. Exactly. And then, but there's there's like this extreme point where I've seen, and I'm not talking about you. Okay, I'm gonna make this very clear. I'm not talking about you. But there's there's like this there's like this extreme point where either you're you're working on leg locks and how to do the imanari roll. That's the extreme from over here to win a no gi competition or you're working solely on combatives and you're working on some i don't know xyz knife pattern and so much so that you're drastically overweight and it seems like you're not putting enough focus on yourself does that make sense like you don't if 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 the attack came and you aren't taking care of yourself to a point where you can at least have the stamina to handle a few seconds of that yeah, kind of engagement, no, you're going to have an issue. Now I'm not saying like you need, yeah. you don't need tons of stamina. You don't need the stamina of a professional fighter. I'll tell you that right now. Cause if anything, you know, but then again, I feel like there's this extreme, like these people that live in that zone and, but well, at the same time, while they live in that zone, like Chris Rock really made the joke. This, yeah. I carry a gun, so I don't have to work out anymore. <laughs> right. So like at one point, at one point, you do get there though, right? You get there. So like I, that's that's what I'm trying to say. Like, because anybody watching yeah, this, look, they, they they're analyzing, they're, they're they're analyzing that because they're like, where are they on the spectrum? Like, are they, I don't, you know, and, and, I, and I don't I don't I know you're not that guy. I know I'm not that guy. Cause like I said, I've done cage fighting, so I know I'm not that guy, but but there are people out there and I, I feel like both environments can facilitate someone yeah. who and I, I almost when I, you know, I, when I, I work I was, professionally well when I work professionally right close protection when I was working on security details your aim wasn't to do the James Bond thing right your aim was to predict and prevent any issues your aim was to create an environment that was so difficult 
an environment that was so conducive to safety that that the risk was was extremely low of anything going wrong someone would have to be extremely motivated and extremely obvious if that were the case right so my job was to think about the environments we're moving into plan such that that it would be very hard to penetrate all those layers someone would have to give the game away very early and and so therefore you could be safer well, my job was how can i make life hard for them and easy for me how can i improve my quality of life reduce my stress not how do i become more paranoid right and and oddly enough a few when when we were working details sometimes there'd be one or two guys unarmed right because sometimes you're with an executive and he's got to go into an environment where you can't take any weapons they're going you're going to be searched you're going to be scanned whatever the case might be what you have is and you know I'll tell you this, when I was working professionally, every time something went wrong, on the few occasions that I had to deal with something, I had no weapons on me or no time to access a weapon. All I had was these and these. Every single time. There was, this is not a movie, you know? It's like something happens unexpectedly and you have to shut that thing down. And the aim was not to engage with, with, with and, and demonstrate your skills. The aim was to shut him down before he can get anything going right and, and that, that was that always worked so make it hard for him to get into range make it hard for him to launch and then catch him at one of those points because once the once the weapons in play you have problems your job is to prevent issues for your client prevent embarrassment prevent harm to yourself and also harm to the victim because uh, harm to the to the assailant because you're a civilian right now if i'm in the military i'd have 50 buddies two tanks and a helicopter on call, a bunch of cruise missiles and five guns on me, right? You're a civilian. You, you are operating under very tight constraints. You're a civilian. You are operating under the law. You need, if I'm going to hit someone, I need legal justification. There's a very different set of rules. And you find that you can, if you learn to develop your observation skills, your awareness skills, you learn to manage your environment, you can make your own personal life much safer. I, I mean, I'm with people, I'm with family. We go to dangerous, like I've taken my family to South Africa they have no idea my job is to go to places where the risk is minimized to you know to 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 just conduct things in a way that and and they're safe and we're safe and i don't have to teach them anything so just if you live your life sensibly your chances of harm is highly reduced park in the right place don't don't walk down the dark side street you know take a minute extra to find a better parking spot you know rather spend a little bit of money park somewhere safer etc that Things like that can really enhance the quality of your life, I think. Hopefully that, that gives another perspective. It does. I think what I'm saying is what you're talking about is sensible. It's not – I love the fact that you said the James Bond shit because I think too many people focus on the James Bond shit, which makes them look ridiculous. Sorry if you I, – look, I understand doing James Bond shit. It's fun to do, just like doing MMA is fun too. But, um, but what you're talking about is very sensible. Now, we're almost done with our hour. It's almost, it's almost okay. wrapped up here. Um, before we're done, there's a question I usually always ask everyone who's on the show. But uh, yeah, if let's say someone wanted to learn martial arts for whatever reason, um, what are what is something? Obviously, you have your online program, right? They have. You have a program. I yeah, I have I have a video series with um, School of Arms Media, but I'm, I'm considering doing an, a new and updated series, um, and I teach um, online. Obviously, with COVID, we all had to develop our businesses online, and we have to develop our syllabi and you know online. And 
I spent the time to to really refine the, the teaching method. So okay. yeah, I, I teach my classes online and. Uh, and where can people find that? Where say again. They, where where can people find that? Um. Yeah. Well, most people approach me on Facebook, so okay. I have a Piper okay. System page on Facebook, and right. uh, I use my obviously on my personal Facebook page. Right. Um. Yeah. And before COVID, prior to COVID, I was traveling quite a bit, doing seminars. Um. Unfortunately, else COVID uh, ended a lot of that. Yeah. Um. But yeah. But um, so people, just so people know, people, people can contact yeah. you on your Facebook page at the Piper System. Is that right? Piper System Facebook page or my personal page, my own name. Lloyd Dion. Yeah. Okay. yeah, but as long as people understand that what I teach is technically Piper system is an assault system. It is ambush. It teaches you, you are utilizing an edged weapon, you're utilizing a knife against very often an unarmed person. Now, Piper system is designed to defeat the typical knife defenses that you see in other martial arts. It's designed to defeat that because the criminal realizes he's going up against people who have we think they have tricks to deal with him and he's designed his assault to defeat all of that to get around all of that to get past all that um so so there is that but also it's really get remember it's it comes from the criminal background right so it's really if you think of it it's assault it's ambush it's potentially murder we, we are taking these skills and we're saying how do we apply this to someone who isn't this is extreme self-defense you are trapped you are with your family and um you need to defend them. You're going up against one, two, three people that are bigger, stronger, more dangerous. How do I utilize anything? I mean, it it's, would be effective with something like this, with a pencil, with a torch. It's impact-based. Remember I said it's like stick fighting? It's like it's blunt force trauma with a knife. It's based on stick fighting with the boxing and seal up element, sort of this blend, this weird blend of these three arts. And again, and, just for uh, anyone listening, you're, and you're coming from a... The perspective and your, your professional work includes um, doing security for Fortune 500 companies. Is that, is that right? I used to work with uh, Fortune 100 executives, Fortune. diplomatic protection. Yeah, yeah okay. done yeah. in the so past. That, that, and that's for, I, I probably should have opened that. <laughs> but, but anyway, anyone wondering? So you know, this isn't just some person. I'm going to talk about this system and whatever. Right? Yeah, you, like yeah. you got you, you have you have, a, you have an extensive background. In, uh, in dealing with these kinds of things, which is why you, you do what you do. So my last question, if someone's interested in doing a martial art and let's say they don't have access to what you, to your, to your side or whatever, like what sort of things should they be looking for in a school or an instructor? That's the question I ask everyone. And everyone gives me a different answer for this, but it's always, it's a fun question to ask right before we wrap up. You know, I would want a good environment that is that's going to enhance your quality of life. It's going to make you fit, right? Just in, just improving your, your quality of life. It's going to teach you awareness. The, the instructor understands the environment. He's not teaching you to, to have to engage. He's teaching you to be aware, to look, to keep your eyes open, to exit from a situation before it escalates, right? Obviously, if that's unavoidable, then you can apply yourself to having certain skills. But look, instead of living in South Africa, I left the country. I'm a lot safer now. So now that now if you live in a bad place, move somewhere else. Go change your route. You know things of that. Do the practical things you can to make your life safer. But um, yeah, learn a lot about awareness. I think nine times out of ten, ninety times out of a hundred, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, simply through practicing good observation skills and and just common sense, you can avoid most of the issues you're dealing with. Um, so I think that that's really important. Also, just a healthy environment that's going to make you feel happier, make you feel better. 
um, you know, give you better health, better stamina, better fitness. I think those are all very, very important things. Because I mean, the cheeseburger is probably more likely to kill you than than some some crazy guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's funny. That's sitting on the, the number, sofa is more likely number, to kill It's you. the number one killer, yo. <laughs> Heart disease is the number one killer worldwide. So yeah, <laughs> if but anything, sitting on the sofa is not healthy for you either. No, so, not at all. Yeah, um, sitting on the yeah, sofa. Yeah, but I think I think sitting on the sofa and trolling my YouTube is not good for you. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> right. So a healthy lifestyle. A happy lifestyle i think increasing your quality of life i think that's very important for most of us honestly i i used to teach as i mentioned the the awareness and avoidance and that worked for me professionally it worked for me in my private life it's worked for me with in so many ways i realized afterwards the, the rare occasions that i had to engage it was forced there. it wasn't avoidable in you know or, or i messed up big time somewhere in my observations so, so yeah, I think most of the time we can live better lives just through learning that solid awareness, someone who teaches a practical understanding of criminal behavior. Uh, I think that's more important. And besides, um, I can tell you, you know, I've dealt with situations where I've had to decide, am I going to take this person's life? It, it, it's not a fun thing to think. It's not a good situation to be in. I've never had to, but I can tell you that I've had to deal with people. My job was to not hurt them. My job was to stop the incident, stop the threat, you know, and, but that can be very traumatic for people who are not accustomed to that. So you want to try to remove those issues from your life, but also um, maybe do something. I always tell people, learn some boxing. It's a great skill to have. It's a really good skill to have. I think boxing is a fantastic set of skills, even if you do just a few lessons, but it's worth learning. And then, and I think, um, yeah, maybe also make the decision. I think, you know, more people have survived violent encounters with no training then martial artists have been assaulted, right? So, so I think that that really it's mindset. It's learn a good mindset, make the decision. If something happens, I will defend myself. I will protect my family. I am worth defending. I will take what action I can. So if you see the threat coming, you can, you can get ready. Criminals respond to people who are aware. They realize this is going to be tougher, harder, right? So I think, yeah, more people have walked away from situations, survived with them, dealt with them successfully without any training at all. Than martial artists have had incidents so so yeah we can <clears throat> I, I think that that mindset is really important um i don't know if that answers the question but the, that's just because i don't want people to have to engage i mean i teach people how to do very violent things if push comes to shove i mean i'm, I'm teaching an assassination system and i'm teaching people, but also here's another thing i teach people how to de-escalate um how to i can teach them how to use a knife as a non-violent weapon as a as a non-lethal weapon it's i know it sounds strange but it's actually possible Right. And um, so I want to give people options, a choice. And yeah, we, we don't want to turn people into into dangerous killers and paranoid freaks. So uh, hopefully that that answers the question. It gives yeah, you think, some perspective. I think it does. I think it does. So, so anybody interested in martial arts, depending, I guess and I, you're, you're saying, ask yourself why you're getting into this. And then when you do, this is the kind of environment that from your background, you would recommend. And I think that's that's pretty much all I'd ever ask from any of my guests is just from, from your from your background, what kind of thing do you recommend? I think that wraps it up pretty good. You know, look for a place where they're teaching you awareness and and techniques that can prepare you. If if the, for coming from your background, specifically, this podcast is about um, combatives, really. It's about combatives. If we're really going to boil it down to what it would be, we're not talking about specifically a sport jujitsu or sport from a sport context we're talking about more of 
self-defense from a combative perspective. And again, more of psychology, which is something I've really been wanting to get back into with my background. <laughs> I've spent a lot. It's strange. Like five yeah, episodes. I, I can five talk at length about <laughs> yeah. Like you know, the, the five stages I mentioned, and the first three stages are all non-violent. But it's yeah. weird that, that, that that's all usually that we all end up talking about how to beat people up, right? But, that, but that, that's, that's why I wanted to focus on that because from my background in psychology, I think that is really important. But we are up on our hour. Cool. Um, for anybody watching, thanks for watching the show, Lloyd. Thanks for being on the show. Make sure you check out his Facebook page, um, the Piper System. Or you can look up his name. It's uh, L L O Y D Lloyd D E D, and then I say Young, but it's actually spelled J O N G H. So anybody listening, to this is a podcast. Yeah. You heard me spell it out. Rewind that. Keep hitting ten seconds so you can spell it out right. But honestly, if you spell it wrong, I spoke it wrong when I googled it. He still comes up. So <laughs> it, it, it passed, yeah, um, it passed I, the pressure test. <laughs> luckily, I've, it's a fairly unique name and it's um, fairly well known. Yeah, fortunately. Well, thanks well, again, thank Lord. you. And um, for my listeners, like I said earlier, we I, I, I've said this in other episodes, I release two interviews a month, and in between that, uh, some martial arts stuff for my students, uh, fundamentals and whatnot. And I'll catch you all next time. Peace. Yeah, everyone, goodbye.